talking about the giver of rest. You know, we're going to be in chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, but I want to go back last week because the way it ended was we were talking about the Israelites. So it's important that we remember who we were talking about because when he carries on, the, it, it's amazing that, that actually whoever wrote Hebrews does this because they stop for a brief second, really, 13 verses. They stop talking about how great Jesus is. And then they tell us, it's still how great he is because he, he gives us rest, but that we can find rest in him. They just stop. Like it, it's like it goes from talking about the Israelites and what they did and how they, they didn't find, uh, they, they abandoned God basically to, this, to, to talking about rest. And God has planned rest for us. The invitation Christ gave included rest for our souls. We just read, Dave, Dave just read, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and he uses an example here. He says, take my yoke. See, when in them days when they would have ox grind in a circle, the, the grain, when they would train a baby ox... They would take a yoke and put it on it, but let the big ox, the professional ox, do all the work. So the ox had no weight. The baby ox had no weight. All it would do, basically, is follow the big ox. And who was carrying all the weight? The big ox. Jesus is saying, I'm an ox. I am the biggest ox ever, and I'm going to carry your burdens. I'm going to carry your weight. That's why he says, for my yoke is easy and your burden is light because he will carry it if you allow him. If you allow him, he takes care of all of it. That was the offer. See, through Christ, in, through, through faith in Christ, we have rest for our minds. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, besides the rest for our souls and mind. You see, we have rest from God for our souls and our minds. But it even gets better because God gives us rest for our bodies also. In Isaiah 43, he says this, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eels. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, the life, a life in Christ will lead to eternal life with him in heaven. But we need to get this rest part. I'm bad at this. I don't know why God told me I need to preach on it because I struggle in this area. I struggle with the rest part. Okay? And I think it's one of the most essential things to my Christian faith. Talking about rest is hard because I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at staying still. Hebrews 4.1.3 says, 4 Verses 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, while the promise of eternity has rest, his, his rest still stands. Let us fear least 
any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. Talking about the Israelites, by the way, because we just got to go. What was the chapter before? What's the whole chapter? What's the whole book about? What's the chapter before? He's talking about the Israelites. They heard, they heard, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For who we who have believed enter the rest as he has said. As I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. He told them, you don't believe, you're not entering the rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. God's provision of rest. We have to realize that God, by the way, didn't only invent the idea of rest. He provides it. See, we have a failure. We, like, just like the Israelites, they failed to accept God's promise of rest. He basically said to them, when you enter, that is the promised land. Once you have conquered the promised land, you will find rest in me. And they said, there's giants over there. We can't get the land. And God got angry and said, you're not going in until this wicked generation is wiped out. Even Moses, who led the Egyptians out of Egypt, did not get to step foot into the promised land. That is why we talked last week about how people would put Moses on this great pedestal. He wasn't even good enough to walk into the promised land because he disobeyed God. You see, they were depending, and, 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 and everybody in this room has done this at some point in their Christian walk. They have depended on good works for their salvation. If I do this, God will be more pleased with me. So God will save me. That's not how it works. But that's how religious people start to think. And by the way, the longer you walk as a Christian, the harder it gets not to fall into this category. Because we start pointing fingers at everybody else that's not doing it right. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, We are saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. I have, I have, I actually hate, so this is just so you know, I dislike a lot when people come through the line at the end of church and say, oh, that was, that, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. That was a good message. Or, oh, that, I, do you know what I want to, you to do? Live it so I can see it, and then I'll know that God spoke through me. But if it was just a good message, it was just me blurring words out of my mouth. A good message can sound like the crappiest message ever if it changes somebody's life. We are supposed to be changing 
towards something. So to say good message, absolutely, doesn't do anything because, for one, I'd be boasting and I, I don't want, because anything I do, I believe that God does this through me because I'm not capable of it. It's, it's useless if it's not transforming people's lives. Paul wrote, all of the letters Paul wrote were to transfer, transform people's lives. Jesus came to transform people's lives. God gave the position of, of a pastors and teachers to help transform people's lives. That's the problem anymore with church. It's because people go to church to just either hang out for whatever reason. I don't understand that. Or just to listen, pay their hell insurance, and then go live however they want. It's like, check, went to church, I can do whatever I want this week. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our hearts are supposed to be being transformed. Because of what Christ has done for us. Because... There's also rejection of this. See, John 1, 11 through 12 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what does that mean? If all the people that believed in him became the children of God, all the people that didn't believe in him are not the children of God. That's just what the Bible says, not me. That's what the Bible says. You either believe the Bible and that, that God does all the saving, or you believe your own made-up version of the Bible, and you think everybody's going to end up in heaven one day, and it's going to be just a great, great old time, and all these people that you've known that never accepted Christ are going to be there. It's not going to hurt your feelings, because, by the way, if you're a Christian... You're not going to miss the people that aren't there. There is no weeping or mourning in heaven. And he also says in Mark 16, Jesus said this, not me. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. That means if you don't believe, you're going to hell. Because there's faithless people. The Living Bible uh, translates verse 2 like this. For this wonderful news, because it's wonderful news. The message that God wants to save us has been given to us just as it was given was to those who lived in the time of Moses. So, by the way, Moses' people heard the same news that you hear. They knew that there was going to be a time when a Messiah was going to come and save the world. They knew that. They were told, you're going to the promised land. They were told all of that. But did not believe. But it didn't do them any good because they didn't believe. They didn't mix it with faith. They just did all the religious things. They just did all the ceremonies. 
See, rituals are good. Traditions are good. If they mean something about God and not we don't do them because it's a tradition and it makes me feel good. I had a conversation with somebody just recently and they told me they didn't like the worship music. Not here, but they told me they, didn't, they don't like that part of the service. Not you. It wasn't nothing to do with you, Andrew. So, But it's actually to do with them because they didn't understand until I explained it to them. They said, oh, we don't like the worship music. We, we don't, I don't like that part of the service. And I'm not going to say their names. They're not here right now, but I'm not going to say their name. But do you know what I said to them? Well, that's because you've got a bad idea of what worship's about. Do you know why we sing worship songs? We don't sing them because we like them. We sing them because we're worshiping God. We sing the songs we sing to sing to Him. So it doesn't matter if you like them. What matters is that you're lifting your voice up to Him. If you only want to hear songs that you like, turn on the radio. And drive around and listen to some music on the radio that you like. Or plug in a CD or MP3 player or your iPod into your car or your Android phone. And listen to whatever you want that makes you happy. But we don't worship God to make us happy. We don't come to church to make us feel good. It's not about us. It's about God. It's always going to be about God, and it's never going to be about us. That is why it didn't work for the Israelites, because they wanted it to be about them. There's a lot of churches around the world, especially in America, that make church about them and not about God. We need faith to enter this race. To enter this rest that I'm talking about, we need rest. We need, we need to enter the rest of salvation by faith. If you say you believe in Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and Savior, this is how you get the rest that I'm talking about today. Those without faith who reject the rest, the, this rest will face God's judgment. I know a lot of people that when you walk around and you go, how are you doing today? This is the most popular answer. They never, they used to say, okay, but this is the most popular answer that I hear now. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. How are you doing? I'm tired. Everybody is tired. I wonder why. I wonder why everybody is tired. Probably because they're trying to get their rest from something that is not satisfying them. See, we look for rest in the wrong place. We're looking for rest where it doesn't belong. You see, we think if we have what we need, we will have rest. God is the only one who provides the rest that we need. He goes on to say this. For he has somewhere 
For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters, entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. God had and has a plan of a rest for everybody. He had a plan. You see, God, God rested. Okay, God rested. He said, oh, day six, day seven, I'm going to rest. Do you think for a minute that God needed to rest? No, God didn't need to rest. God's God. I can tell you this, it wasn't even hard work for him to create the universe. It wasn't even, it didn't even make him sweat if he could sweat. God just went bam and it was created. You know, that's what God did. He didn't need to rest. Do you know why he rested? To show us that we did need to rest. That we need to rest in him. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. Genesis 2 through. Two through three says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, I personally don't know if God named the days back then or not, but I don't say you have to it has to be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Whichever day of the week it is, it is. There's certain sects that say, oh, Sabbath never changed. They also say, say another lot of stuff that, in my opinion, would make them a cult. But, but, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. But, we are supposed to rest. And, and we're supposed to rest in what? In him. That's our problem. You know what's funny? Is, is back in the day, like not that long ago, we're not even talking a hundred years ago, people worked six days a week. People worked six, whoa, six days a week? You want me to work six days? They worked six days a week. A week was six days work, one day off. Six days work, one day off. 
Then the great revolution happened and, and we have, now we've got workforce and now we've got offices. Now we don't just dig our, plow our fields or, or build. We've, now, we've got other jobs now. Which is great. But then we go, we're only working five days a week. We get two days off because we need two days to rest. We need two days to rest, five days off. And even on them two days, we're not putting God first. Why do you think so many people in America and around the world are tired? They're tired because they work on getting stuff. You know, if your brain never switches off, I've got one of them brains, by the way, and, and it's not healthy. But some people, when they want stuff, because they, they're living a life, they're going along their life, and they go, oh, my neighbor's got a boat, I need a boat. So their brain is going, how am I going to get a boat? How am I going to get a boat? Even when they're not working, and they're trying to sleep, their brain isn't switched off because they're trying to come up with some scheme and how they can make enough money to buy a boat so they can be like their neighbor. By the time they figured that out, by the way, the neighbor now has a bigger boat. So it's a bit of a, a conundrum here because now they need a bigger boat. So now the process starts over again. But you could put anything in that category. Okay. I love Apple products. Apple just re- is showed the new iPhone 14. And by the way, it's amazing. Do you know why? Because if I ever get stranded on a desert island in the middle of nowhere, I can call you and tell you I need help. Because it's actually a satellite phone too. It actually has the capability after, after October that if you're stranded with no signal in the middle of I don't know where, because it's not America, but Americans will just be lining up to buy this phone. So just in case, just in case they're stranded on a desert island and they need a call for help. Because it also doubles as a sat phone in emergency situations. You have to have battery power, obviously. So if your battery runs out, you're... Good luck. You better write in the, in the sand. But... People, this is how they're going to sell their phone. The other, the other neat thing that they put on it is if your phone's in your car and you have a crash. So I was just want to know this because I throw my phone all the time. Like by accident, it'll slip out my hand and it goes flying. If that considers it a crash, I will have the police hunting me down all the time. Because if you crash and your phone is in your car, it detects that you crashed and it calls the police for you. That is what's going to sell this phone because people are going to say, I need that. And people are not going to sleep because they're going to worry about how they're going to afford this $1,200 or $1,300 phone that next year, by the way, they're going to have the iPhone 15 and so on. And the world keeps moving. But all these people out there are not, Sleeping, because if you ask, if you polled, if you go around today and just say, how are you feeling today? Most people are going to say, tired. Tired.
he prophesies in this quotation from, from in verse 5 where he says, they shall not enter the rest. This is the whole text. It's from Psalms 95, 7, 11. For he is our God and we that are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as on the day of at Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, through though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, this is God saying this, I loathed that generation. They are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He is saying, if you don't want to follow me, that's fine. That's fine. But if you don't follow me, you're not going to have the rest that I promise you. If you choose to live your way, you're not going to find the rest that God promises you. Don't you find this to be true in your own lives? When I'm, when I'm chaotic, it's very often it is, by the way. When I'm chaotic and everything is going on in my life and I don't have time to do anything, it is the most dangerous time in my life as a Christian. Because when I'm worrying about everything else that's going on in my life at that point, I stop worrying about what God, and I stop going to God, and I stop because I'm all over the place, not doing what I want to do as a Christian, and follow him, and grab a hold of him, you get pulled in 15 different directions, and, and, and you're, you're not even being pulled in the one direction you need to be going in, and, you, and, and this is a time where, and I don't need the devil, I just need evil, because evil lives in my heart, and evil steps in, and that is when you do stuff and say stuff and act in ways that you wish you never did. And everybody, when you are tired, this is what happens. You say stupid things, you do stupid things, and you hurt people because you're tired. And you're not really tired, you've just not had the right rest. You've not had the right rest. You've not put your trust in God. But, verse 6 promises that there's a pardon, that the door is open to rest and pardon. No one knows how long it will remain open though. You know, God's door is only open till God, Jesus returns. The door is open for us to get on this side of the, the heaven to get rest. But that's not the most important thing about that saying. The most important is that means that whoever's out there that hasn't found true rest in Christ, there's only a certain amount of time left for them. Whether it's their days of their life that they have, or Jesus comes back, whichever is first. We walk around ashamed of talking about Jesus. Do you know what's so stupid about that? 
is because you can't save anybody. So what does it matter what you, what you, if you tell people, look, I'm a Christian, I believe this. Start acting like one first. But then say, I'm a Christian. I want you to know my Savior, Jesus Christ. If they go, F off, you just go, okay, this one's yours, God. I did my part, you do yours. That's it. You are not responsible for the outcome. See, here's the problem, is we think we're responsible for the outcome. Just like many people prayed for me to come to this church. Many people prayed over the years for me to be saved. Okay? Not one of them was responsible for the outcome. Only one was responsible. And his name is Jesus. That's it. He was responsible. That's it. You have the same responsibility to tell people about what the kind of rest they can find if they find the creator of the universe who made rest. We have to accept the invitation. We need to not harden our hearts like the people of Moses' day. Psalms 95, 7, 8 said, For he is our God and we are his people, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, that means if we hear his voice, which we, we obviously have. I don't think everybody's coming to the church just to hang out. We are his children. We are his sheep. He is going to give us rest. A good shepherd, what does he do? Take care of his flock. Jesus isn't a good shepherd. He is the shepherd. In Hebrews, in in verses 8 through 11, he's not talking just of this time of rest. He's talking about when we die and go to heaven, there's a rest there too. There is. There's a rest there. There's still going to be work too. Here's the thing is, there was work in the garden before the fall, and it wasn't hard. I can't wait to the day when I can still work because I don't know what I'd do if I had to not do something. So I hope God's got stuff for me to do when I get to heaven. I'm sure he does. But, but when we get there, it's not going to be the same as what it is here. Our brains are going to be focused on what we, we're going to be resting all the time. Even when we're working, we're going to have the rest of Jesus upon us. So we're not going to get tired. We're not going to feel the way we feel here. We're not going to be uh, pulled in 15 different directions and not know which way is up. See, John 14, 12 through 13 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And now the most misquoted verse in the Bible Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you know why that's the most misquoted? Because people go like this. I've got cancer. I'm going to pray for God to heal me. God didn't heal me. I'm going to say, God, I said in Jesus' name. I said, dear Lord God, please heal me in Jesus' name. That is not what the text means. If it did, Jesus wouldn't have went to the cross for one. Because I know what he prayed in the garden, and so do you. He said, 
take this cup away from me. But if you can't, these are the magic words, your will be done, not mine. What this text actually means, just so you know, if you are walking with God, if you're walking God perfectly, 100% perfectly, you will be in Christ's will. And when you're in his will, guess what he will do? He will tell you what to pray for. Okay? He won't tell you, pray for a new car. I can guarantee you. He will tell you what you need to pray for, and it will be stuff that you wouldn't even think of praying for. That is being in Christ's will, and that is praying in his name. It's being in his will all the time. We can't do that perfectly. So that's why this prayer, that when we say this, whenever you ask in my name, it is so many times misquoted. People think it's a miracle prayer. Like if I add in Jesus' name till the end of the prayer, it's going to come true. Well, I found out, just like the famous country song, God's unanswered prayers are God's best, best answers for my life. The ones I prayed for and he didn't answer and he answered something else because he really knew what I should have been praying are the best prayers that he's ever answered for me. So it goes on. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we are must give an account. And that's, guess it, when we die... When we die, we're going to have two questions. I, I believe this anyway. This is my theology, and I'll, I'll just tell you in a minute. I'll go back to it. But we're going to get asked, and Jesus, God already knows the answer. Jesus, God, whoever answers, is, they're all the God anyway. Whichever part of the Trinity asks us this question, it's going to be, and it might be in like, I don't know what triple stereo would sound like, but it would be all of them asking at once. But it might be, it might, it, he's going to answer this. Did you know my son? Did you put your trust in my son? That is the most important question that you're ever going to be asked your whole life. And the answer is hopefully yes. Okay. But I think the next one as Christians is it's important as a Christian. Because God is going to say, then what did you do with it? Then what did you do with it? I left you there for a purpose. So you accepted my son and what did you do with it? What did you do with the time I gave you, the talent I gave you, the money I gave you? Did you use it to to glorify yourself or did you use it to glorify me? Because I left you there to glorify me. I left you there so, so I could be glorified and more people could be in heaven and heaven could be fuller because I left you there and I wanted to use you. So what did you do? Now, doesn't matter what you did. The first question got you into heaven. But I want that second question to be ended with, thank you 
this coming from God, my good and faithful servant. You did something for me because you trusted me and you knew that I have your back at all times. And you put your trust and your faith and you rested in me when it was time to rest. And you rejuvenated in me when it was time to rejuvenate. Because, we're going to talk about this, because he's our high priest. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. And that is what is going on in this text. He's trying to say, rest in me. Because the world won't give you what I can give you. See, the scriptures, this is why I always say read the scriptures. Because the scriptures reveal our true character. When you open the Bible and you read it, it tells you who you really are. Especially if you read a text and go, oh, I don't like that. Oh, that one's better. That really shows who you are. God is putting a mirror in your face and saying, look, this is who you are. This is who I want you to be. Luke 12, 2 says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. You see, we have this tendency to go over here and say, God's not watching me. I can do whatever I want now. And then come back over here and pretend. But that's not how it works. God is everywhere. God sees everything. You see, the scriptures reveal our complacency. The Bible shows us our indifference. You see, Revelation 3, 15, 22 says this. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. He's talking to Christians. So just listen up here. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will, God is saying this, I will spit you out of my mouth. He would much prefer you to be a cold Christian than a, a mediocre, warm have you ever had something that's supposed to be hot and then you drink it and it's like lukewarm and it's like, this tastes disgusting. That's what God's saying. I like cold coffee. I like hot coffee. I don't like warm coffee. God is saying, look, don't be lukewarm. You should be on fire for me because of what I've done for you. He says, for you say, I am rich. This is us. I have prospered and I need nothing because I've, I've got everything that I wanted. The big boat, the big house, the big whatever. And not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Because you can't take the U-Haul with you when you die. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so you may, that you may see. Those whom I love, I love this part because people go, God loves me. So why would he punish me? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Elizabeth will like that one. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 
The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, the Scriptures reveal our concerns. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things not hidden, now hidden in the darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. It shows what we put first in our life. The Bible will show us what we put first in our life. You see, this day of rest that I'm talking about is day where you pray. Day, a day when you actually get in the Word of God. You can actually go for a walk in the country. You can go canoeing and be with God. You see, these are the things you can do and actually get with God. It doesn't matter which day of the week it is. I don't believe there's a, a special day. I believe we should take a day. And the reality, in the Living Bible, verse 13, says this. He knows about everyone, everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to, to the all-seeing eyes of the living God. Nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all and this is where I got from the text that I think there's going to be a question. Explain all that we have done. There's going to be a time. And he's going to say, look, I put you in this situation. If you was fully rested in me, if you fully worshipped me, if you fully submitted to me, you would, you would be having the best sleep nights that you could ever dream of. You'd be in that beautiful rest. And you'd feel rejuvenated and alive again. Instead of worrying about what the world thinks and what the world tells us and what the world tells us that we need. Every single day we live in the, probably it is the worst time in history to, to, to be a, a person, I think, because we get bombarded by advertisements this is what you need. This is what you need. This is what we need. You go on social media, they're advertising you, telling you what you need. You go, you go look for something that you need to buy. Whether, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you're bombarded by advertisements. They get your email address. Oh, suddenly you're bombarded by emails telling you what to buy. It's like never ending. Buy this, buy this, buy this. Instead, we need to shut down. And when I say we need a rest, a day of rest, I'm talking about a rest from Facebook. I think that's the biggest. These, these multimedia, all, the, all this uh, garbage out there, when we are on it all the time, we lose track of the real world and what's really happening around us. And I think that's what Satan wants us to do. I think he wants us to lose track of what's going on around us. He wants us to live this fake life on a screen. It's good for him. He wants us to brag about each other's dinner. He wants us to brag about our lives. So this week, I want you to read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Through actually, 14, through Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10 is the whole text. So if you read all that, you'll be prepared to talk about the supremacy of Christ, Jesus, the high priest. 
See, there is no rest outside of Christ. There is nothing but sorrow and disappointment. The power of God will give us rest for our souls, our minds, and our bodies. And if we have rest in these areas, we will be more effective as Christians. A person with a tired soul, mind, and body is unsatisfied. And an unsatisfied person can be a dangerous and harmful person. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the rest that you provide for us. I just pray that you give us the rest that we need and that we accept it as a gift from you because you are an amazing God. And you've provided it. All we have to do is ask for it. You've given it to us. Have us accept it, God. Have us find our rest in you. Have us open up our word, read the Bible, say, hey, God, show me. Show me my inner self. Show me what I need to look at and, and, and fix in me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.